text for this morning's sermon is Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, most people have a natural sense of justice. We expect people to deal with us fairly. And those of you who have kids or deal with them regularly know this. One of the common complaints parents hear is, that's not fair. Kids will complain that someone else got more than they did. Or that a parent or teacher didn't apply the rules or punish another child in the same way that punishment was applied to me. Children will quickly let you know if something is unjust or unfair. And it's not just children that have a sense of justice. Adults do too. We easily get upset when someone cheats us or rips us off. Yet every day we see injustice all around us. We often hear of corruption by those in power who use their position to line their own pockets. Great injustice is done when defenseless babies are aborted or when children are sexually violated or when instead of being cared for, seniors are euthanized. Think of all the assaults, the robberies and murders where innocent people are victimized. When we consider these things, our hearts cry out, that's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. What we're often unwilling to admit is that we're not just victims of injustice. Often, we are the perpetrators. We can be the ones who deal unfairly with those around us. Being unkind in what we say to our spouse, or unfair in how we deal with one of our kids, bullying a classmate or workmate, gossiping about someone or slandering his or her name. Anytime we break one of God's holy commandments, we commit injustice against God and our neighbor. In Israel's day, God's people were guilty of gross injustice. They sinned against God and against their neighbor in every way imaginable. Isaiah was commissioned by God to speak to his people about their sins and to warn them that unless they repented, God would punish them severely. Isaiah was commanded by God to warn Judah that the Lord was going to allow the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, to lead them into captivity. The Lord simply couldn't stand the injustice done among his covenant people anymore. He would bring disaster upon them in order to show them the seriousness of their sins, to call them 
to true repentance. Yet God also allowed Isaiah to proclaim hope to his people. Our text speaks about how the servant of the Lord would come to bring justice. It's the first of the servant's songs in Isaiah. Others follow in chapters 49 to 53. The servant songs are messianic prophecies. They speak of the coming of the servant of the Lord who would serve as Israel's Messiah. In this time leading up to Christmas, it's good for us to consider why God needed to send his son into this world. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord promises to send the Messiah to establish justice on earth. We'll consider the Messiah's calling, the Messiah's compassion, and the Messiah's conquest. Our text begins with the Lord Israel's covenant God speaking. He speaks about his servant and about the task he would perform. That task is very clear from the first verses of our text. Three times in four verses, the Lord states that his servant will bring forth justice. So what is justice? It's a word that can be used in different ways. It can be used in a judicial sense of a judge rendering a verdict so that a person is found guilty or not guilty. The word justice can also be used in a more general sense to refer to fairness. The Bible shows us what justice is by revealing the character of God. Our God is a just God. He does what he has promised. He keeps his word. He is fair in all his dealings. We've already noted how this world is often an unjust place. People are not fair in their dealings with one another. In our society, the rich and powerful often trample the rights of the poor and the defenseless. A just person is one who does what is right. It's someone who deals fairly with those around them. But who says what's right and what's fair? Who sets the standard? Well, God does in his law. So true justice is shown when we live according to God's holy commandments. Justice is done when we love God with all our heart and soul and mind and our neighbor as ourselves. Our text speaks about God sending forth his servant to establish justice on earth. Yet originally, Israel was called to be God's servant. Israel was supposed to be God's servant, maintaining and promoting justice for all people. God had appointed his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. After giving them God's law, Moses commanded, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Proverbs 21 verse 3 says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Psalm 106 verse 3 says, blessed are they who observe justice who do righteousness at all times. There are a number of reasons why God commanded his people to act justly. The main reason is that 
God is a just God, and we are called to image him. When we do what is right and just, we honor and glorify the Lord's name. Another reason why Israel was to act justly was so that God's people could live in peace and in harmony together. When people deal justly with one another, it promotes the well-being of a society as a whole. A final reason why God's people Israel was to deal justly was because God wanted them to be a light to the nations. Israel was God's chosen people, called and commissioned to serve him in the world. The Lord commanded his people to carefully observe his laws, for this would show their wisdom and understanding to the nations. The nations would hear about God's decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this? During Solomon's reign, the queen of Sheba visited him and marveled at the blessings God gave Israel in Solomon's wisdom, for he maintained justice and righteousness in the land. Yet on the whole, God's people did not live up to their calling to be the Lord's servant. One of Isaiah's main tasks was to speak to God's covenant people about their rebellion against the Lord and to call them to repentance. Isaiah summarizes Israel's sin with these words. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. The Lord was disgusted with his people's false religiosity. They offered a multitude of sacrifices. They observed all the appointed feast days. Yet the Lord says he would not hear their prayers anymore. Do you know why not? In Isaiah 1, 15 to 17, the Lord says, Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. As the Lord's servant, Israel failed its calling. God's people could not act rightly. They were unable to maintain justice. By nature, their hearts were corrupt. They were inclined to all evil. And that's why God needed to send the Messiah to do what his people could not do. Sometimes we're asked, why did God send his son into this world? And we answer that he came to pay for our sins through his death on the cross. That's correct. But it's not a complete answer. Christ came to restore mankind to the state that he was in before the fall into sin. He came to bring about a whole new world order. He came to establish righteousness and justice on earth. Our text this morning is a prophecy about the Messiah's coming. Isaiah identifies him as the servant of the Lord. 
He would be everything that Israel was supposed to be. He would do what was right. He would bring justice to the nations. To be able to do that, he truly needed to be the Lord's servant, the one called and commissioned by God to bring justice, the one enabled by God to do so. How do we know that our text is speaking about the Messiah, the coming Christ? Well, the Lord calls him my servant and my chosen one. The coming Messiah is the one whom God specifically appointed to do what his servant Israel could not do. In Isaiah's prophecy, the Lord speaks about upholding his servant and putting his spirit upon him. God equipped Jesus Christ for his ministry when he sent forth his spirit from heaven in the form of a dove at Jesus' baptism. Our text also speaks about how the Lord would delight in his servant. There's few things in the Bible that God delights in. He delighted in his creation. When after creating this world, he observed all that he had made. The Lord said, it was very good. God also delighted in the fact that his son was willing to come to redeem his people. At Jesus' baptism, the father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God was pleased with his son because Jesus came to bring justice on earth. In his life, the Lord Jesus exemplified justice. He dealt rightly and fairly with everyone who crossed his path. Jesus did not discriminate in favor of the rich and powerful. Instead, he took them to task when they oppressed the poor and needy. One of the remarkable things about Jesus' ministry is the way he associated with prostitutes, with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did not condone their sins, but he knew that the lost sheep of Israel needed a savior. He called them to find their salvation, their life in him alone. Ultimately, the reason why Christ came to earth was to pay for our injustice. See, beloved, whenever we sin, we act unjustly. Our sins transgress God's holy commandments. They're offensive to him. Many of our sins are done against our neighbor. We trample our neighbor's rights. We act unfairly against him. Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By paying the price for our sins, Christ restores us to right relationships with God and our neighbor. That's how he establishes justice on earth. Brings us to our second point. Having considered the Messiah's calling, we now focus on the Messiah's compassion. The Messiah would come to bring about justice. Now, normally, if you want to bring justice, you can do that in one of two ways. By being a social reformer and speaking out publicly and passionately about what's wrong, seeking to correct that. Or by taking power and using that power for good, making laws that are just and right, 
and enforcing them for the protection of those who are weak and poor. Yet God's suffering servant would not bring about justice in such ways. Our text says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. Christ would not be a social reformer trying to bring about change by screaming or shouting in the streets. Although Christ spoke with great authority, and although he performed many miraculous signs, he did whatever he could to deflect attention away from himself. Our reading from Matthew 12 shows us that after Jesus healed many sick people, he warned them not to tell who he was. Matthew writes this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he repeats the words of our text. Christ would establish justice on earth in another way. Not by leading a revolt against the Romans, but by showing compassion to his people. Our text says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Text uses two images here. The first is of a reed. It's a type of grass that grows in marsh, marshes, marshes and ditches. Typically, a reed is not very strong. With a stiff branch, you can make something. But a reed is weak. It's, it's easily bent by the wind or trampled on. A bruised or a damaged reed is pretty well useless. You can do nothing with it. Second image that our text uses is of a smoldering wick. If you ever used a gas or propane lantern, you know what a wick is. It's that little thing that sticks out of your lamp. It's dipped in the oil beneath, in the fuel beneath, and the wick is what makes the lamp burn. In ancient times, wicks were often made of flax thread soaked in oil. The wick would draw the fuel from the storage area. It would cause a flame to burn, giving light. But these wicks did not last very long. They soon burned up. A smoldering wick is one that's at the end of its useful life, ready to be snuffed out. To the world, a bruised reed or a smoldering wick are useless. They're good for the scrappy, and often that's also our society's perspective on people. Our society is used for people who are young, beautiful, healthy, and productive. But people are often pushed aside as they get older. When they get sick, they lose their looks, or when they become a burden to society. Often our society treats people as a commodity, to be used as needed and pushed aside when their usefulness diminishes. You see this especially in the lack of empathy or care for those who struggle in their mental health. Or in the way that seniors get forgotten and are neglected in many personal care homes. And the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy came to bring about justice on earth. He would deal with all people equitably. He would not show favoritism to the rich and powerful or discriminate against the poor and needy. The Lord Jesus had a special eye for the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. He cared for the bruised people of this world, for those who have been physically 
wounded, those emotionally or spiritually damaged. Christ came to give renewed hope to the lives of those who were like a smoldering wick, ready to give up and check out. Isaiah's prophecy speaks of Christ's tender, compassionate care for the weak and the downtrodden. The disfigured man that had that shriveled hand we read about in Matthew 12. He was a bruised reed. Imagine living in a society where most everyone earned their living by working with their hands. This man didn't just have to deal with a physical disability. He had a stigma attached to him because he couldn't work like normal men did. Yet Jesus cured his shriveled hand, allowing him the dignity to earn a living for himself. The woman caught in adultery in John 8 was a smoldering wick. The Jewish leaders were ready to snuff her out by stoning her. Jesus showed compassion towards her. He saved her from stoning, and he forgave her sin. Jairus was a bruised reed as he mourned the death of his daughter. Yet Jesus strengthened his faith and raised his daughter from the dead. He gave Jairus a whole new lease on life. He filled his heart with comfort and joy. The woman with the flow of blood was a smoldering wick. For 12 years, she'd gone to all kinds of doctors. She'd spent all her money trying to get healed. During this time, her uncleanness caused her to be cut off from worshiping God at the temple, from having fellowship with those around her. Jesus restored her health. He gave her the ability to live in fellowship with God and her neighbor. For many of us, beloved, this Christmas season is different from most. We are limited in our fellowship with family and friends. The health crisis has created so much fear in our society, and that fear penetrates into some of our lives. Many are feeling anxious and stressed. Some are extremely frustrated. We feel that the government's response to COVID-19 is a great injustice to those living in our society. Crisis situations often reveal our character. They reveal our strengths and weaknesses. Our frailties and need are exposed. Yet, beloved, the gospel speaks to our circumstances. Our merciful and gracious high priest has not only redeemed us by his blood, he also intercedes for us as a sympathetic and compassionate advocate. Jesus knows that life on this earth is full of struggles and difficulty. We may lay our needs and concerns before the throne of grace, knowing we are heard for Christ's sake. He will come to our aid in our time of need. He'll strengthen us when we are that bruised reed or that smoldering wick. Jesus truly cares. He will show kindness to the brokenhearted, healing to the afflicted, grace to the repentant, compassion for those who are bowed down. 
It brings us to our final point, and we'll consider the Messiah's conquest. Isaiah spoke of the servant of the Lord and how he would establish justice on earth. He said, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. The task to which Christ was appointed was not an easy one. He would face great opposition in it. Yet his goal is to establish true justice over all the earth. There is hostility to the rule of Christ in every human heart. By nature, we are all rebels. We all want to be our own boss in charge of our own lives. During his ministry, Christ faced opposition from many who did not believe in him. The Jewish leaders opposed him every step of the way. Yet as Isaiah prophesied in our text, Jesus did not falter. He was not discouraged. He suffered injustice but did not cry out for his own justice. With steadfastness, he continued in the task that he was appointed to do. Christ suffered silently but willingly. He concerned himself with bringing justice to the bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. He walked the pathway of suffering all the way to the cross. Not only did Jesus become a bruised reed, he became a broken reed. Not only did he become a dimly burning wick, his wick was snuffed out. He brought justice to the nations by allowing allowing himself to be broken, to be snuffed out by the sins of the world. In this way, he satisfied God's justice, making payment for our sins. We often consider Christ's death on the cross to be the end of his work. But in reality, it was only the beginning. When Christ had completed his work here on earth, he ascended to heaven. He's seated as king at the right hand of the Father. From there, Christ works to establish justice on earth. How does he do that? By commissioning his followers to preach the gospel. By calling us to be bright lights in this dark world. Just as Israel was to be a light to the nations, so we as church today are to shine the light of Christ to all those around us. And how are we to do that? By imaging Christ our Savior. More and more, beloved, we need to work out the law of God in our lives. By thinking through the consequences of our actions. By considering the impact of our words and deeds on those around us. Like Christ, we need to do what is just and right to deal fairly with one another and with all those put on our pathway in life by God. To show forth compassion and love, especially for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. We live in a world that longs for justice. Yet in this sinful, broken world, and again and again we experience injustice. Christ came to establish Justice on earth. He laid the foundation for his new world order with his sacrificial death on the cross. 
Today, Christ continues to bring justice on earth by his redeemed and renewed people. By working in us with his word and spirit, transforming our lives one at a time. We are God's chosen and called servants, equipped by his spirit. So go and do what is just and right. That people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That they too may become part of Christ's new world order, practicing justice on earth. We know that as long as this sinful world continues, there will never be true or complete justice on earth. Paul writes about that in Romans 8, 18-25. He speaks about the consequences of the fall in sin on this world. He says, creation was subjected to futility. After the fall, the earth produced thorns and thistles. Man had to work hard in the sweat of his brow to earn his daily bread. Women suffered pain in childbearing. Ecclesiastes speaks of how life on this earth is vanity, how it's a striving after wind. It's filled with pain and sorrow, with suffering and death, with sin and injustice. Yet a better day is coming. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He speaks about how creation will be set free from bondage to decay. It'll happen when the Lord Jesus comes back on the clouds of heaven. At that time, we'll experience the fullness of our redemption. Satan and all his followers will be condemned to hell. Sin will be no more. The earth will be purged as through fire. Our bodies will be raised and reunited with our souls. We will live with God and his son, Jesus Christ, and all the saints on a renewed earth. In a place where justice and righteousness will rule. Whenever we speak about the life to come, we're limited in doing so. The Bible gives us some glimpses into heaven. But our sinful state prevents us from from truly comprehending the glory God has in store for us. But beloved, try and imagine a world where everyone was united in heart and mind and will and voice, giving glory to God. Imagine a world where no one ever cheated you or robbed you or assaulted you or hurt you. Where you lived in perfect harmony with God. And your neighbor hurts our brain to even think of a life like that. And yet that's what God has promised us. Christ will establish justice and righteousness on earth. It's the inheritance God has promised to all those who love him. It's going to be awesome. Amen.